Science, exercise, nutrition, health, energy, passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Welcome to the One Year No Beer podcast. Today's guest is Mark Williamson, who's someone that I've admired for many, many years now. He's the director and co-founder of the wonderful movement Action for Happiness, which is such a brilliant concept. It's just this movement of people coming together to be a little bit better, based around positivity and giving back to their communities. Very much intertwined with um, a movement that I'm very much involved with, positive psychology. The patron saint of Action for Happiness is the Dalai Lama. So they've got some really unbelievable people behind this movement. It's reached millions and millions of people. It's global now, not just in the UK, but they also hold many fantastic events in London where they have brilliant authors, great thinkers, all coming to talk to inspire people to be a little bit happier, to think a little bit differently. And it just so happens that Mark is also on his alcohol-free adventure, which in my opinion is one of the greatest things you can ever do for your happiness. And we dive a bit deeper into that and also into Mark's really interesting backstory. You know, he was in that classic city go-getter mode, which he stepped out of um, the accountancy firms and into doing good in the world. And that was part inspiration behind Action for Happiness. And we're going to deep dive into many themes and ideas and ways you can become happier. The best one being take a break from alcohol. And on top of that, many other ideas and concepts and the whole movement behind Action for Happiness. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview and this story. Enjoy. Delighted to be talking to you today. And uh, as well as your kind words for action for happiness. I'm hugely inspired by all the things that you're doing yeah. with One Year No Beer. And it's great that you know we've had this common ground together with you coming to our events and us meeting at other things. Uh, you, you, know, you sort of asked me to reflect on how I got to this point. Yeah. Right? So um, I was originally, uh, well, I, I come from what I consider to be a, uh, a privileged background, not in financial sense, but in terms of just coming from a, a loving family. My my. My early years, as I would call them, were just fairly carefree, a lot of friendship, a lot of sport. You know, I was reasonable uh, in kind of school endeavours, but life seemed just somehow a lot less stressful than modern life feels these days. Yeah. That might be a little bit of rose-tinted looking back. I studied engineering. I got quite interested in uh, how the world works and how to fix things and went off and did a degree in electronics and uh, was sort of heading in that kind of scientific analytical path alongside enjoying again, these friendships and sports and hobbies and other things. And um, went on to do a PhD and got quite interested in, we were working on some of the, how to develop Wi-Fi technology, which didn't exist at the time then out in wow. California and other things. But I realized that the academic life wasn't really suited to me. I was, back to your point of connection, I was fundamentally someone that enjoyed human connection and in the world of academia and science, I wasn't really experiencing that. So yeah. I decided to launch myself into uh, the commercial world, not really because I was driven by income, although I did have an underlying sense of, you know, my family's not particularly well off and I'd like to be able to provide for myself. So that was a motivator. But really, I just wanted to go off and do something exciting, challenging. Went into the world of management consulting for my sins, which I did really get a buzz from. I and mean, it was like high pressure, um, 
you know, big projects, mergers between stock exchanges and, you know, big kind of investment firms and got that sort of sense of challenge and, and you know, responsibility, but ultimately left me with a massive gaping void in my life of just, you know, what is this meaningless thing yeah. I'm doing? Uh, you know, I know you come from a, a background in financial services as well, and I, I woke up one day going, the, the, I like the people I work with, but I don't like what we're doing and who we're doing it for and why. And it wasn't that it was unethical in any way, but it was just relentless pressure to deliver financial returns for a company in an area I didn't really believe in under, you know, huge stress. And in fact, the wake-up call, one of the beginnings of my transition towards Action for Happiness, and I will promise to answer your question, uh, was a back pain challenge I had. So I was you know, woke up one day with a sore back, as many of us do, and thought it might have been a sporting injury or something. But basically, over about two or three years, this deteriorated into just the most horrific experience of pain. Like, I would wake up in the morning unable to get out of bed. I'd be pretty much sort of paralysed by this right. pain. I stopped doing any of my sporting activities, continued doing this stressful job. I had, like, medics tell me I had a hereditary degenerative spinal disorder and I might be in a wheelchair by the time I was in my 40s. So I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. I, you know, I had scans that showed I had bulged discs and all these problems in my spine. So I was really scared and in lots of pain. And my wife, Kate, was a little bit further down, let's say, the journey to enlightenment at the time than I was. And she was retraining from a, a marketing career to be an osteopath. Right. And she, I think, had triggered that there was something about my emotional state that was linked to my pain. So she gave me a book, and it was called something like Mind Over Back Pain or Back Sense or something. It was basically saying um, a lot of pain, physical pain that's real, is caused by muscle tension, which is in turn caused by stress. Do any of the following sound like you? A, work really hard, oh, tick. Yeah. B, uh, really care what people think about me, tick. Uh, C, never talk about feelings. Yeah, that classic British male thing. Yeah. So I was in this pressure situation and what wasn't coming out emotionally was coming out physically. So that was you know, debilitating pain. But this book woke me up to that and I learned something which we'd now called mindfulness, uh, a meditation breathing technique from this book. And it literally changed my life. Wow. So I started practicing a sort of daily breathing exercise. I got rid of this fear I had of the pain. I'd been told I'll be in a wheelchair. And once I realized that this is actually partly self-induced, if I can just get out of this toxic work environment and, and just relax a bit. And, and sure enough, within two or three weeks, I was not quite pain-free, but I was running again, playing sport, uh, not waking up you know, in the middle of the night in excruciating pain. And ever since then, I've been pretty much pain-free. And my, this, this you know, stress-related pain has become my early warning radar of when things are out of control in my life. But more importantly, it was this first connection for me who someone who'd been living in my analytical brain to this connection between our emotional lives and our physical lives. You know, we, 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 I was rational, but I'd sort of lost touch of my feelings and I yeah. felt about my physical health without seeing the link to my mental health. So that was, a, you know, I, I immediately realised I wanted to get out of sort of corporate business life. I went off and did an, an MBA thinking... And I'll go and retrain and do something else in the industry. But I had this sort of a, a second wake-up call on that journey was a realisation that actually when you look at all the different things you can do in business, from aircraft manufacturing to shampoo sales, I'm not motivated by selling people stuff they don't need. And so I came out of this MBA instead of going into a, some big new swanky business degree thinking I want to do something of social purpose. And I was very passionate and still am about climate change. So I went and worked for five years at something called the Carbon Trust, trying to fix our 
climate and sustainability problems. And that was a great passion, and I'm delighted to see with the Greta Thunbergs and all the yeah. stuff going on at the moment, um, Extinction Rebellion, that this is becoming way more noticed by the wider public. But what I realised on that journey was that it's not just the planet that's broken, it's our culture that's broken. You know, the reason so many of us are upset, the reason we're on this path to sort of environmental disaster is that we've got a story that's wrong. It's like happiness comes from having more, consuming more, earning, owning more. And that not, not only had that story been making me really unhappy, it was clearly part of our societal challenge. So I read a book, this is back in 2005, by someone who's become my sort of hero and mentor, a man called Richard Layard, um, an economist, a member of the House of Lords, professor at LSE, and he, he was one of the first globally to say we should be thinking of success in terms of happiness, not the conventional income and this had a massive impact on me and I and I decided I wanted to make that sort of my life mission so I can happily say how things progress from there but I might just pause there because that's quite a, a random roller coaster from science to business to climate to personal change really yeah and the bits that are interesting to me and I think that listeners as well that it takes a ton of courage to make those type of Changes. I know there was the epiphany, let's call it, around the back pain in the book, but to move from that corporate world and you know certain level of income and whatnot to have the courage to go. Do you know what? I want to do something different. How did you feel feel about that at the time? You know, your wife and your family. Like, was that an easy decision? Did it feel like, or was it something that you had to wrestle with for quite a long time? It was a wrestle, and it was a difficult feeling. So when leaving the corporate job. Um, to go off and do this study initially, which of course is a non-paid thing that costs a lot, was a real decision of like, what do we value here? My wife and I were thinking, well, can we afford to do this? And my main discovery was it was unbelievably empowering to consciously take a major salary, not just salary cut, like no salary, to go and change path initially. Um, And then ever since then, I've taken lower paid jobs and I've been working in the charity sector now for a decade or more, and you know, still haven't come anywhere close to earning what I earned, you know, 15, yeah. 20 years ago. But that's been unbelievably liberating. Now, that's I have to put that in the context of you know, we're not living on the breadline, and I, yeah. I wouldn't for a moment suggest that there's, the happiness and income are not linked. Absolutely, if, we don't have, if you can't cover life's essentials, then it really there is a very strong connection between our, our well-being and our and our financial situation. But above that becomes kind of largely irrelevant. You know, we we can afford to live in a house that um, you know covers our needs. We don't. We're not particularly big spenders. And so for me, that I'm I'm choosing to do something I care about because of that reason, rather than because of what I earn from it, has been so liberating. So that was number one. But but then actually, the perhaps the bigger example of what you've just said when I uh, came across the chance to to create and run Action for Happiness with uh, Richard Layard, who I mentioned earlier. Um, I was doing this environmental job that I loved. People knew I'd made my switch out of corporate life and cared about the environment, but I knew I wanted to go one step further and focus on happiness. And when I turned to all the people I loved in my life, my mum and dad, my wife, my friends, almost all of them, with perhaps with no exception, said, why would you leave a job you'd like to do this weird happiness thing? (laughs) What on earth are you thinking? So it's the double leap. It's the leap initially into... And, change, and then yeah. to go again. But, yeah. but the, the second leap was, was almost like they were almost laughing at me. Like, happiness? What? A director of happiness? And some people got it, but yeah. many were like, just, what is that? Yeah. Why would you do that? And, and so for me, that, that was actually 
even more liberating because I've realised that in my whole life I've been a people pleaser. I, well, part of my success, I guess, in my previous um, you know, corporate life was working out what people wanted and trying to make it happen. That's the classic consultancy trick, isn't yeah. it? You know? uh, and, and I'd spent my whole life trying to please parents, trying to please friends, trying to please clients, trying to please others and not really being true to myself. And this was the first example of me really throwing that out. I now think of myself as a recovering people pleaser. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, I, I decided to take that job to set up and run this Action for Happiness you know, charity, movement, community, whatever we call it, uh, in the face of not only external sort of laughter, but people like, really cared about going, why, what are you doing? And, and, I, and I went through that and it hurt a bit, but it, it showed that it meant a lot to me and it's been life-changing. Yeah, so what just even took us through that, what was your mindset at the time when people are saying, look, you've already done this, you've come out of the corporate space into one area, we get that, now you're doing this weird happiness thing. Like, what was your mindset? What was you thinking, I've got to, like, you know, why was you, you know, concerned? Well, I had um, had an experience, well, I read a book by a man called Neil Crofts called Authentic, it came out a couple of decades ago now, uh, all about how to make a living by being yourself and sort of this... He was one of the first users of that now overused phrase about authenticity. But one of the exercises, I don't think it was even in his book, but he had this, this idea that we can all find our life's purpose if we can answer three questions. And I've always really liked this model. In fact, we use it now with Action for Happiness uh, sometimes. But the first question is, what are you really good at? And so for me, it was like, well, I'm actually quite good at organising things, making things happen. I've proven that in various different for-profit and you know, in sort of non-profit contexts. Uh, the second question was, what are you really passionate about? And, you know, that's rather different sometimes to our talents. Yeah. And mine have become, I'm really passionate about this idea about what really does make us happy. Because the stories I've been told about you know, what makes us happy were, were, were clearly broken and I yeah. was discovering a different direction. But the third question was maybe even more interesting. And it was, what are you angry about? Or what would you like to change in the world? And I really realised through reading Richard Layard and thinking about this more that I was just angry about the narrative in modern culture that success comes from looking great and earning a lot and um, you know, this sort of uh, almost success at the expense of others rather than this togetherness that is so important. And so my, my really long-winded answer, so Neil Croft's suggestion was if you can write your answers to these three questions together as a single sort of phrase, that becomes your life's purpose. So mine was something like, I want to use my talent for getting things done, my passion for you know, genuine happiness, to put right this, you know, crazy wrong priorities we have in our society. I mean, it was literally that badly worded long sentence. But I wrote it down and I looked at it and thought, yeah, I believe in that. But then I thought, what the hell do I do with that? I yeah. almost like screwed this bit of paper and put it in a drawer and didn't think anything more of it for a bit. And then opened the Times newspaper one day and there was an article written by Richard Layard, this guy who was a sort of hero of mine, not only sort of saying all the same points that I'd been thinking, but actually saying, and we, we want to start a sort of movement to help put this right. And I was like, this is amazing. That's exactly what I want to do. And I got in touch with him and he said, well, yeah, we are looking for someone who might become the director and leader of this. So I went and met him and some other people who'd been thinking about it. And this, this opportunity emerged from, from this conversation. So when my loved one said, you crazy, why would you do this? I said, well, because I wrote down and my purpose in life just like a month ago, and it's this. Yeah. Right, so because I'd been through that exercise, it gave me the courage to say, like, you know, when does that happen in your life? When you think this is what I really want to do, and then the opportunity emerges. And that gave me the sort of bravery to just pursue it. So this is why I'm really passionate about us 
being able to articulate some kind of mission in life because when you know that with more clarity, it gives you that confidence. Oh, I totally buy into that and, and I've used that throughout my life through the, the books that I've read and the planning and goal setting and all of these things. I, I do think you just switch your mind on and suddenly you notice the people, the places and the things. It feels like this unbelievable serendipity, mm. doesn't it? But I'm a real believer and when you've switched your mind onto it, as you did through going through that exercise, and it's such a... See, this is the bit I didn't know about your story. Mm. I think it's really important because I know lots of our listeners go for a similar experience. They remove alcohol and go, what next? What mm. am I supposed to do with this short and precious life? And they start to ask these big questions. And I'm always uh, advocating reading books and making plans and, and goal setting because I think it's really important. In your case, it's just such a great example of it. That book led you just to do that pretty simple exercise, even though it takes a lot of thought and suddenly there it is. Richard Layard mm. appears, the article appears, you pursue that and before you know it, here you are at the uh, the, the helm of this amazing movement now that's probably got, what, millions of people, I think. Yes, well thank involved. you. For, for any of your listeners who haven't come across what we're doing, yeah. Action for Happiness is a, a movement, a community of like-minded people that think that happiness really matters. It of course matters to us individually. We all want to be happy. Um, Although we might use different language for that, we might talk about contentment or yeah. thriving or flourishing or well-being, whatever it is, this idea of feeling good and functioning well is just the very essence of what we need as humans. But we want it for each other as well. It's a thing we want for the people we love and care about. When you ask parents what they most want in life, they for that sorry, what they most want for their children, the most common answer is I just want them to be happy. And yeah. they mean they mean safe, they mean well, they mean educated, they mean um, connected, they mean purposeful, but they, you know, this is the word we use to describe the thing we want most for the people we love the most. Uh, and of course, there's a challenge with happiness because we're sold all kinds of rather crap versions of happiness <laughs> yeah. from companies that say happiness is opening a fizzy drink or buying a sofa or, you know, looking perfect. So one of the things we work really hard to disarm is the, the, the sort of fake stories of, uh, of happiness. It's been rather cheapened since the days of Aristotle, who talked about happiness as eudaimonia, this idea of a purposeful, meaningful life, um, to this rather more hedonistic interpretation of happiness about the good times. You know, nothing that we're doing with actual happiness is saying that either we should be happy all the time, because of course life is full of challenges, yeah. uh, nor that it's wrong to be experiencing difficult emotions. We all experience loss, sadness, fear, frustration. This whole gamut of human emotions uh, are vitally important, in fact. But um, in aggregate and on average, what we all want is to live as happy as possible life in the face of all the adversity we face. So it's about resilience, it's about coping, it's about purpose. It's not about a smiley happy all the time. Yeah. But this is fundamental. So I, I, coming back to the link back to that story I was just telling of my own journey, what was on my mind was this question of what really matters. And that's what we're doing with Action for Happiness. We're asking people, we're asking society, what really matters. And we're doing that not only through the lens of personal perspective, but through the lens of scientific evidence. We now have this amazing um, insight from neuroscience, psychology, behavioural science, just the wider world of research, much of which backs up ancient wisdom that we've known for yeah. millennia, but some of it challenges uh, perhaps what you might think of as the the standard way of thinking. And so we now know what really does matter, and it isn't, you know, aside from covering our basics, as we mentioned earlier, our relationships matter much more than our income. Our sort of inner narratives and mental health matter much more than how we're perceived um, in the outside world. Um, you know, there's these qualities of how to be resilient, how to stay physically well, how to, to care for each other. 
And in fact, that's one of the most important themes of Action for Happiness is that happiness comes from caring for each other. Yeah. When, we, when we give, when we're kind, when we, when we have a sense of something bigger than ourselves, that's uh, you know, so important. That's why I love what you're doing with When You're new, No Beer, that sense of a tribe. I would argue that you know, uh, although the, the individual behaviour change and the, the, you know, the benefits you get from stopping drinking, for example, is huge, Actually, in some ways, what you're doing and what we're doing as well, I think, is that's even more important is bringing people together with a sense of purpose around a sort of shared uh, conviction. And in our case, a conviction is happiness matters not just to me, but for all of us. I want to see more of this in my community, more of this in my workplace, more of this in our society as a whole. And we, we've, we live in really challenging times. We have a yeah. marketing environment that tells us you're not good enough, I'm not good enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not clever enough, you're not whatever, trying to sell us products mainly. Uh, and what we're trying to say in the face of that is it's okay to not be okay. This is a lovely thing that's happened in the last five years in particular with the conversation about mental health rising up the agenda. Yeah. People recognising that we are, we're all just flawed human beings. We all have those inner narratives of self-doubt and that's part of the human condition and that's normal and it's okay to not be okay. But the other thing we're bombarded with is this media narrative of fear, actually. Mm. When we pick up the papers and we watch television, we get this story of other people are just doing terrible things. Our politicians are evil. Our, um, you know, the, 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 the people that aren't like us uh, are a threat to our very survival. And I don't believe that. I'm a really strong believer in the goodness of human nature and in our common humanity. And so again, our message in response to the fear is really one of love and kindness. That's why the Dalai Lama is involved as this, you know, someone who stands for happiness and kindness as the fundamental ways of living. We believe that the best way to be happier is to bring happiness to others. That's the central pledge of action for happiness, that to live your life in a way that contributes to our overall sense of well-being. And I find that really inspiring. I find that since I've changed my life around how can I create more happiness in the world in all my myriad of imperfect, flawed, slightly, you know, wishful thinking ways sometimes. That's just such a lovely guiding force for life. And we, we're so you know, grateful now that we have, as you say, a million people in our online community, 175,000 current count sort of signed up members. And they're just thousands and thousands of volunteers trying to live by that principle. How can I, in my community, bring a bit more happiness? And that is just it's a joy to be part of yeah and i must admit again having been involved myself as a, a participant in many ways it's been a fantastic journey along the way because i am interested in happiness and, and we'll get into this now because i think there's an assumption it's part genetic but i know and, and, and i'm sure you've got some stats around that i've seen it but i know it is part genetic but there's so much you can do to improve that sort of baseline level of happiness you know from all those things we talk about those fundamental things like sleep connection and whatnot but I think so much of it is brought back into that mindset that mm. actually there are things that I can do I can be proactive around it for example I stopped reading papers about eight years ago because I, for the same reason I was just bombarded with this horrible information that I didn't really need that was adding little value to my life it was just fearful mm. it was making me scared and actually it was on an action for happiness um, get together that I was handed a, a newspaper called The Positive News or something mm. like that. And it was yeah. like this movement saying, look, can we just have some news? Yeah. It's about all the good things that are going on in the world. Yeah. Because I think we're so bombarded. And obviously we've got this inherent negativity bias mm. towards negative news. That's what sells. Negativity sells in many ways, that tribalism that gets behind it. 
And I think it's just so nice what Action for Happiness is doing. It's just unwinding that a bit. So I really like that point, Andy, and I'm grateful you mentioned it because it reminds me of something that's really changed my life again. So you're right, we have this inherent negativity bias. So nothing that we're trying to do is to say, ignore the bad things, yeah. because it's, it's essential for our survival. We would never have survived as a species if we didn't have this sort of hard wiring to look yeah. out for problems and danger. The problem is, you know, if, if zero on the scale is reality, and plus five is sort of Pollyanna-ish wishful thinking, and minus five is it's all gone to hell in a handcart, you know, we're living at sort of minus three. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're skewed towards a focus on the negative, and it's just not healthy. We don't need to be entirely pretending everything's fine when it's not, that's actually a, a route to mental ill health. But one of the best practical actions to sort of put this right, and actually to reframe our, our neural connections in some way and sort of rebuild uh, a more balanced view of the world is just this simple action every day of taking time to notice what's gone well, as well as what's gone wrong. We will naturally always focus on what we've got wrong, what we're worried about. We can't get rid of that, that's just part of human nature. But the, a technique I was taught about, and I was really skeptical when I first came across this, in the literature, it's sometimes called keeping a gratitude journal, yeah. which as a kind of sceptical British male, I thought this isn't, I'd never do this. <laughs> but I was persuaded when I saw the evidence, which shows amazing impacts of this simple exercise. So at the end of each day, or at some point each day, stopping, thinking about, you know, the last sort of 24 hours or so, and, and trying to consciously bring to mind, and I did write down, let's say, three things that have gone well. So I started trying this, and I know it's fairly well known now, this idea of, you know... Um, focusing on good things, but it blew my mind, Andy. I, 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 I started realising how much I took for granted, mm-hmm. and whether that's I woke up this morning and I could still see and my liver was working, um, for, or, 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 or also how much I was sort of letting little things get out of context. You know, I was really worried about something that happened at work or my child, the problem they were having at school. And by doing this exercise, I was reminded of how many things I have to be grateful yeah. for, and how many things are going well. So I, I started doing this. I think I've now done it, you know, almost daily for about four or five years. And it's just the most um, invigorating exercise. It helps me sleep better. It makes me realise what's good in the world. And I kind of think we need a mass cultural shift to this. Yes, there's all kinds of problems we need to put right. I'm not for a moment saying we mustn't act on all the major issues, poverty, climate change, inequality, you name it. But so much is good as well, and we miss that chance to see it. So I, 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 I find that it's a, it's a technique I love to use with others now. So in a team meeting, you can start the team meeting with, what's gone well this week? And when I see my kids at the end of the day, I can start with, like, not just, how was your day, which tends to get, mm, I can start with, what was good today? And they say, oh, I had a really good art lesson. Yeah. And it, it sort of helped, you, we can reframe the, pe- the experience and the recognition of the people around us by the questions we ask them. I think that's so important, and I use it with my children. It's the same reason. If you say to them, how was school? You go, good. Yeah. But if you say to them, before bed, this is what I do. Three Gs. We've got all trendy on ourselves. Great. We've abbreviated it to the three Gs. Three Gs. And they know what I mean. Three things to be grateful for. And they list them off. It was PE. It was great. I had a really nice time with best friend. And you get Amazing. much more rich information from them. And it's really nice stuff. And it sends them, in my opinion, to sleep. Yeah thinking of the positive yeah, things that went well. So training them from that young age. And back to what I was saying earlier about this genetic component, people see me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and I'm always smiling, I'm always upbeat, because I love it. But I work really hard to get into that place. Mm. I don't put the Facebook Live down and then shout And let kids. me ask you, Andy, I mean, there must be times when you feel sad, lost, angry, Absolutely. upset. You know, despite that positivity, which is natural and real, 
you know, you'll be facing difficult times like all of us. It's not a, it's not a fake happiness, is it? It's no, kind of, it's, it's in the face of life's challenges. Exactly, and that's the key point, isn't it? I think you have to work quite hard at it so that in those moments you can be positive and upbeat and enjoy yeah. it because life is going to knock you around a bit, yeah. like every day it does. Or every week, some big challenges come along. But I think what we can do, Action for Happiness and all the wonderful ideas, especially around like gratitude and whatnot, mm. is actually sort of just raise that bar a little bit. So in the moments that there isn't a real threat going on, you can be really positive and upbeat. Have you ever read Man's Search for Meaning? By yeah, it's a wonderful book. I don't know yeah. if you've talked about that on the podcast before, but that had a, a very profound impact on me. And for anyone who's not come across Victor, he was um, in Auschwitz in a concentration camp. Uh, in just the most horrific situation, you know, malnourished, on constant threat of death, your loved ones and friends and, you know, around dying and uh, in difficult health situation, you know, arguably worse than I would hope anything, either us or indeed many listeners would ever experience in their lives. And, and Viktor Frankl managed to, I won't, I won't say thrive, but managed to survive in that situation, as you know from reading the book, with a, a really unique mindset, which was, well, I can't, I can't change what's going on, it's horrific, but I can choose how I respond. And I mean, he's had these amazing quotes in the book, but one of them is, everything can be taken from a man, or indeed a woman, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, the ability to choose your response in any set of circumstances. Yeah. And I just find that a constant sort of source of hope for me, which is however bad my day's gone, however much I'm worried about what's gone on for my child at school, or the, the health situation, or, or a loved one who's in difficulty, whatever it might be, that sense of, well, I, you can't change the thing, but I can choose how I respond. So it's back to your point about mindset. And you're right about the genetic component. There is a strong genetic component. There is an environmental component. You know, if we're living in poverty, if we're living in danger, it does affect our well-being. But a massive chunk of it is within our control. Yeah. And that's just really good news. Yeah, and back onto that point. So I love um, Anthony Robbins. I read his book, Awaken the Joy mm. Within. And it was the one line in that book that changed my life in many ways. And, and the line was roughly uh, along the lines of, it's not events that shape our life, but our beliefs about them, yes. which I trace back to Epictetus and yes. the great Stoics, which is the same thing, Indeed. right? And that was so empowering for me. I was like, hold on a minute. So I can actually decide how I react and feel about these external events. And that's the sort of mindset stuff. I think why action of happiness is so important as well, just to give people a glimpse of that, mm. a sense of control that actually you can do these little things and they're not huge, are they? These little mindsets sort of, um, techniques and training that you can give yourself that will just gift yourself a bit of space. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because although I'd love to say a bit more later on about some of the face-to-face work that's happening within Action yes, Happiness because, do. as you've already said, this togetherness, this community is so important. But actually, on that subject of little things make a difference, we ha- we've almost stumbled into actually one of our biggest sort of successes um, through uh, a series of daily actions and monthly themes. Yeah. And where this emerged from was nearly two years, in fact, almost exactly two years ago, one of our long-standing supporters, a lovely man called Peter, lives in Northamptonshire, wrote to me saying, I've created an alternative advent calendar for this December. It's about kindness. I'm trying to sort of shift people away from the, all the normal commercial answers and just encourage us all to be kinder in December. And I want to link to Action for Happiness because you're such an inspiration. Is that okay? And I said, oh, what a lovely idea. Can I see it? And I saw this calendar and it was beautiful. It was each day with a little act of kindness and I said, well, Peter, can we do one better than that? We'd love to help you sort of make it really colourful and, and maybe we could share it with the whole Action of Happiness community yeah. as well. And he said, oh, yeah, of course, that's a great idea. So we did that. And I didn't think anything more of it. I think we may have tweeted it once and popped it on our website and I sort of carried on with normal 
work and life. And I got a call the next day from our web company saying, um, there's good news and bad news. The, um, the, the bad news is the website's down. <laughs> the good news is you're getting more traffic than you ever had before. And like literally wow. like 3 million people have tried to download this kindness calendar wow. in the space of um, you know, a, a day or two. So that was a, amazing for us. And we were obviously delighted. And we thought, oh, we'll have to do that every year for December. But at the end of the month, people start saying, oh, what's the January calendar? What, what's the theme going to be for January? And we thought, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll do maybe like a Happy New Year calendar with some general actions. Because, of course, one of the things we've got loads of is happiness actions that come from the science. You know, little yeah. things you can do. Take a different walk to work and see how you feel. Um, go and visit a, you know, a, a, a neighbour and, and brighten up their day. See how many people you can cheer up in a meeting today. You know, from uh, you know, self-care to physical activity to relationships, all kinds of stuff. So we, we did one in January. That got an amazing reaction as well. And then people kept saying, well, what's the next one? So we sort of accidentally started creating these series of monthly themes and we connected them to this framework we've got called the 10 Keys to Happier Living that comes from the science. If people wanted to find out more, just search 10 Keys online. There's books, there's posters, there's all kinds of amazing resources that help you take action to be happier. But we've ended up with these monthly themes that follow a rather painful alliterating sequence. So friendly February becomes mindful March, <laughs> active April, I love meaningful May, joyful yeah. June. You know, so so the, the pain continues through self-care September and optimistic October. We're in do good December at the moment. So, uh, but that's been a, a real success. And at one level, if you know anything about behavior change, this shouldn't really work because it's a, it's a month of action ideas. It's rather prescriptive. You know, it's like, here's an action every day. Nobody's going to do an action every day. And yet it's really worked because people love the fact they can print it out. I cannot tell you how many people have said, oh, we've got your calendar on the wall at school. Really? I have friends who are investment banking, so, oh, we've got one of your calendars on the fridge in our drinks area. I'm like, but you work in a... Yeah. That's crazy. We were watch- I was watching the BBC, uh, as a Louis Theroux documentary the other day, and two people were having a chat in a room, and on the wall behind them was one of our calendars. Wow. I was like, oh, that's so good. Um, but but um, it's this combination of people can print this out and share it, but also every day's got a little little nudge and they're tiny things. And it's it's those little actions of, well, today I can choose to say something constructive when I walk into a meeting. I can recognise, you know, um, something about my own strengths, I can use one of my own strengths in a new way. I can, there's just thousands of these actions. Uh, and it proves your point that um, none of these in their own right change lives, but the idea that, oh, actually, that made a difference. Yeah. And, and so we're action for happiness. And I think there's something really important about that word action. We tended to think traditionally that when I think differently, then I'll behave differently. What we found is when you get people to behave differently, that changes their emotional experience. And then it, over time, changes their cognition. So they say, oh, actually, when I'm, when I'm kinder to others, I actually feel really great too. Yeah. Well, when I'm a bit more physically active, wow, my mood's really changed. So start with the doing and then you find everything else flows from that. See, this is so important, and, and I think I do a lot of work with mastermind classes, but I love journaling, mm. encouraging people to journal, because I think what happens inherently, we are so busy, we forget. Mm. We forget so quickly to be kind. We forget to work on our happiness. Life just gets in the way. There's a lost lunchbox, there's a stressful email, and then we're on the back foot. Whereas I encourage people to journal every day, mm. to reconnect with who they are, where they're going, how they're going to get there. And I think maybe I'm just... Uh, guessing but that's why the calendars are great because there's just a little reminder that says oh yeah I can do this thing today before life gets so busy and without the calendar 
there's that sort of blank of I have to remember to do these things and life gets in the way and we forget. Whereas I think that little reminder might be really beneficial to people because they can just glance at the wall and go, you know, give someone a compliment or whatever it is. Mm. And I think because there's that physical, visceral reminder, maybe that's why that's going I think that's a really nice way of looking at it. And what it's helped us do is reach many millions more people. But of course, we want them to not just have the odd occasional little moment. We want to take them through a, a journey of transformation to really answer that sort of meta question of what really matters. And so the way we've, re- well, the thing we focus on most with Action for Happiness um, is a face-to-face activity in local communities. And this has been perhaps the most inspiring, sort of rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. So we've created a, a program that anybody can run with the right motivation. So you don't need to be an expert. Yeah. So it's, imp- it's sort of tapping into this amazing power of generosity. So we've had volunteers, thousands of them all around the country saying, I'd like to make a contribution. What can I do? And we said, well, you can run a course. And they said, well, I'm not an expert. I, I'm not... You know, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, but we said, well, we've designed one, so it's a peer-to-peer sort of community conversation. We've got the materials, it's got the evidence behind it, it's got videos and things you can do, but you can, you just, all you need to do is create the space, invite people, make it happen logistically, and, you know, it's, it's this life-changing experience. So, what, what it, it's an eight-week uh, process, each week has got a different theme, whether it's about relationships or resilience or work and meaning um, and kindness to others. And, and people go through sort of learning together, they watch a video, they have conversations, but the, by far and away the most life-changing thing is the, the group discussion. And it's this sense of realising our common humanity in a room with others. So, oh, you feel that way too. Oh, oh, oh I've never seen it that way. And it's just, it's, we, we spend so much of our lives having sort of, well, I think what you'd call superficial conversations. You said that to me earlier about, you know, the, the, the weather, the shopping, the house prices, whatever. And this is about conversations that matter it's not group therapy but it's like well let's talk about what really matters to us the people we love the things we want to do in our lives and that that has just been well I mean we, we know it works people tell us they love it but we've also now had an independent academic assessment done of what's called a randomized control trial where some people go go on the course and some people just get on with their lives and scientists have measured all kinds of things about their well-being and their mental health before and after and the results are amazing people come out happier less likely to be depressed or anxious more likely to be kind to others, more likely to be trusting of others. So we're sort of rebuilding that connection, actually. Isn't that absolutely stunning? And, and so we see a similar thing in our groups without that, yeah. that structure where that fluff is removed that we mm. just mentioned. And people get real really quickly. And I think that's why there's such a bond because all that, hey, look at me, I'm on holiday, feeling amazing type posts are removed. And it's like, I'm really struggling today or I'm having a great day. And I think it just gets that new con- type of connection going that's so valid and I think where we can learn a lot from Action for Happiness is trying to bring more of what we do online, offline. So I think there is something so powerful about being in the same room with a group of people that just want to be a bit better. Mm. They want to be a bit happier or they want to spread happiness. And I, and I should say, I think that's a really clever thing about what you're doing with, with the project, which is you know, you're, you're, you're appealing to a really big audience to have this interest in, in their relationship with alcohol. But actually, it's so much more than that, isn't it? It's oh, about absolutely. how should we live? What matters in life? So you're coming at pretty much the same questions as we are. Um, maybe people are coming to it through the lens of their relationship with alcohol to start with. But as you say, it's that the tribe are saying, how can we be happier? How can we live well? How can we be healthier? How can we clap for each other? That, these are the essential questions. So I think, yeah, if you can do that, I mean, I know you're doing that online brilliantly, but again, I'd certainly encourage all your listeners to just get together with other like-minded people locally because it's just so powerful. And so where we've gone with this, so we've had these courses that have been run, I think it's now 
um, I can't remember, it's like 300 locations the course has been run in. Many, many thousands of people have been on it face to face. But the be- another beautiful thing that's happened is it's become linked to those calendars and those monthly themes I mentioned. So, of course, once people have been on an immersive eight week experience, they want to stay in touch. Um, and they want to keep meeting and so we've started doing these get-togethers which are monthly which then follow the theme so I've been running one of these where I live in Kingston for about 14-15 months now in fact I've got one coming up on Monday for our December theme and and so many of these people have been on Action of Happiness courses and uh, experiences together but now we just get together on a monthly basis and we, we the last month's theme was new things so we kind of learnt something new together previous month was optimistic October we were talking about you know, what gives us hope this month uh, we're looking at kindness. And so as well as conversations about that, we, we've decided as a group we're all going to bring contributions to a local food bank. And so we're, we're, we're getting together, we're having these conversations at Maddo, we're having a drink and a chat. And then we're all taking along like you know, donations to a food bank together as part of a local community thing. And for oh, me, wow. it's just been a really beautiful experience to say, you know, once you've built those connections locally, it's not that hard to keep them going, but it's really valuable. And I really value the fact that I now have friendships in my community across a wider range of ages and backgrounds than I knew through my own social circles. You know, you tend to just know the, the friends of friends or people connected with the family. I now know people of all ages where I live locally because of doing this. And it's lovely. It's really yeah, lovely. Yeah, this is something I'm very passionate about at the moment. I want to build community out from, I think, what we do because it's so important. And yes. as you said, your vehicle is happiness. Our vehicle is a period alcohol-free. But essentially, it's just a group it's of life. people. It's yeah. Just coming together. That's the excuse to get us all in the same room together. We do it online. It'd be so wonderful to bring it offline. And as global, I guess, as is action for happiness. Mm. But just to see people coming together. And maybe we actually will talk about this offline because I'd be interested to get a bit more insight from you about how, how maybe we can do that. Um, and then just bring it back to Action for Happiness. How might people sort of get involved or become a part of Action for Happiness or run the courses or, you know, generally well, involved? Thank you for the chance to talk about this. So we, we engage with people at sort of all, sort of, well, wherever they are on their own happiness journey. Yeah. We tend to think of this in two different dimensions, really. One is personal well-being, personal happiness, and the other is contributing to the happiness of others. And some people who come to us are really struggling. They're lonely, they're anxious, depressed. I mean, they're not really in the headspace to think, how could I run something to help others? Yeah. They just they just need a bit of self-love. And we can help them through some of the action ideas or through going on a course to discover a bit more about how they can just be happy, how they can cope better with the difficulties they face, how they can take that mindset you talked about and just do small positive things that make a difference. Um, but what we also really want to help people do is move on that journey towards helping others because it's good for society, but it's also yeah. really good for us. as this win-win. We say, if you want to feel good, do good. It's really true. There's a helper's high. And so uh, along those journeys as well, we, we have lots of people who come to us saying, well, actually, a very, very common story is I was in a really dark place. I was lost. And then something that's really changed my life, maybe because of actual happiness, maybe because of one year no beer, maybe because of something completely different. But people say, my life's changed, now I want to help others experience that. I think that's kind of why you and I are doing what we do, because we've had a life-changing experience, we want to share that. I see that so commonly. So we talk about sort of seeking and spreading, so some people are seeking happiness right now, and maybe once they've got that, they're in a better place to help others. Others perhaps are further along that journey, and they're just passionate about saying, this really matters, let's help each other. So regardless of where you might be as a listener on, on that journey, um, you can come um, to actionhappiness.org. You can be part of our sort of monthly program where you receive the calendars. You get There's an app where you get a daily action nudge. Lovely community. I think now 75,000 people are using the app daily and they're getting these action ideas and talking about it and helping each other. 
Um, you can go on a course if there's one near you, or you could sort of put your name down for one or sort of requesting one near you. And next time we can, we'll try and get a volunteer to run one nearby. Um, or you could even run a course. We've had lots of people say, well, I, I couldn't find a course near me. And I, you know, I wasn't really sure, but I thought I'd just try and run one. And we, we pair them up with other co-leaders and they run it and they have an amazing experience and it helps others. And then we have people taking ideas into their workplaces, into schools. Um, some people are doing sort of political campaigning uh, around this, you know, asking politicians to give a greater focus to mental health, to addressing loneliness. You know, this is very much a big picture issue as well yeah. as a personal issue. So there's all kinds of ways you can go with it, but start by coming to actionhappiness.org, join the community, look at the resources, just feel part of this amazing mission and movement, and, and together we can make the world a better place. Oh, I love it. And also when you sign up, um, to Active Happiness, you'll get notifications of any of the events that are coming up. Yes. So I love the events. Yes. They're on in London predominantly. Yeah, and if you're not in London, we, we, we stream them live on Facebook. We have tens of thousands of people watching them live for free. We have a YouTube channel packed full of videos from previous courses again and events all, all freely available. So wherever you are in the world, there's content you can engage with. Yeah, and even just listening to when you were describing the type of people that come in, it's just if you swap the word Action for Happiness for taking a break from alcohol. Yes. It's the exact yes. same thing, which I love. And just on that note, um, before we wrap it up, I know you've taken a break from alcohol. I have. Recently, so just maybe we'll just explore that for a minute. How's that going for your happiness? It's been brilliant. Business? It's been really, it's been really um, special, actually, important. And, and actually, it links me back, before I answer that properly, to something that we started talking about a bit earlier on, which is, in this world of happiness, I've spent a lot of time rightly, I think, focusing on some of the sort of psychological components of our well-being. That's our, our inner sort of mental health and self-narrative, our relationships, our sense of meaning and purpose, our resilience. These are vital. But I think initially, I had, you know, personally and as an organisation, we may have neglected what I now think of as the basics. And so the basics for our health are the basics for our happiness. You know, yeah. this is sleep, nutrition, physical activity, and just little ways of alleviating sort of stress and, and pressure. So I, I think many of us that are unhappy uh, can could do you know a lot worse than starting with just getting enough sleep, eating less you know sugary processed rubbish, uh, and getting more physically active. So for me, you know, changing my sleep habits, dropping sugar, cycling more. I'm a big passionate cyclist. Has been hugely beneficial. But another physical health change has become this dropping alcohol. And where it started for me, I've, I've been a, a, an alcohol drinker socially like many British male for mo pretty much my entire adult life since you know age 15 since before I should, legally should have been doing this yeah, yeah. it's been at the heart of lots of the most joyous and memorable occasions of life from student days through weddings through parties through work through you know just life in general and most recently I've developed a real passion for uh, craft beers. I became kind of like slightly addicted to these beer clubs that would send me beers each week and I was loving them and enjoying them and using that as an excuse to go out with friends and try out new beers. And, um, and then I was away with my wife and kids and my mum and dad um, early this year, about seven months ago now, and had a few beers and had an evening where I was just not very proud of how I behaved. I had a conversation with my mum, was a bit argumentative and I said something not very friendly to my wife, and I just thought, that's the beer talking. Why, what, what, what are you doing here with your family, drinking a few too many pale ales or whatever it was? And I just really woke up the next morning thinking, what's going on there? And started to realise all these things I've changed in my life, my purpose, my, all these other things. It's like, actually, there's a, there might be, it's not a problem here, but I'm not sure this relationship's very healthy. Yeah. And the next night, I was, oh, the next day I was in a shop and I saw some alcohol-free beers, and I thought, oh, I haven't really tried that. And was going to watch a football game with a friend that evening, had a couple of those, and thought, these taste great, actually. And 
And it just dawned on me that my, all the things I associated with alcohol, friendship, fun, socialising, these have been wired in from an early age, but none of them had anything to do with the actual alcoholic content. It was, I like being with friends, I like being sociable, I like having a drink that tastes nice, chatting, going out. These are great, but I don't need alcohol to do that. And I might have needed it when I was 17 or 18 for confidence reasons, but that's long gone. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm someone who's been laughed at for leaving a job to become a happiness <laughs> person. You know, I mean, I, I can cope with people going, oh, don't yeah. drink anymore. Uh, so that wasn't an issue at all. So since then, I've been just really uh, enjoying going out. And I, mean, I do really like some of the non-alcoholic beers. So I can go out with friends. I've been to all kinds of social events, just either not drinking or drinking a, a non-alcoholic drink. And some people have noticed, some people haven't noticed. Sometimes I've consciously raised it, other times I've just not said a thing. And it's been really interesting. And really, I mean, you know, you know much more about this and your community knows much more about this than I do. But I've been uh, pleased with the health benefits, uh, encouraged to find that the, the, the me that I think is there is still there when I go out. I have lovely conversations, I have fun evenings. Uh, that's not been uh, undermined in any way by not drinking. And in fact, it's been completely enhanced by the fact that I can then leave and go home at 11.30 without feeling the need to push on through. And I wake up early and play with the kids and take them to football or whatever it might be. And it's, you know, life is even more joyous. So yeah. I'm grateful to you guys because um, part of the inspiration, uh, there's been a few people I think that nudged me towards that. One was my sister who um, quit alcohol a couple of years ago, having realised her relationship with it wasn't very good. Another close cycling friend of mine, Ian, um, again, a follower of, of yours as well, uh, stopped drinking a few years back and he's often inspired me in those conversations. And then when you and I met, you gave your um, talk that I think you've now done as a TED talk as well. Yeah. And I just like, that's so such an important reminder. So all those little seeds have been planted such that when I had this evening of like, what the hell am I doing? They were, that thinking was there. And so, you know, I, I'd certainly credit your work as one of the reasons why I'm, I'm doing that. Oh. And I think I'll continue to, I mean, we're facing Christmas now and I, my plan, I think, is to continue this. I haven't, my wife said, like, how long is this latest craze going on for? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not really sure, but right now I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's just lovely to hear that story back because that is the story of my story and the story of hundreds of thousands Indeed. of our yeah. members. It's the same thing. And what I've noticed, and, and I've been really um, inspired by it, is people that I admire, like yourself and Dr. Uh, Rongan Chatterjee. Yes told a very similar story. It was just actually through that awareness of what was good in my life and what was working in my life, there was this discovery of, actually, I think the alcohol thing's not actually adding much value anymore. In fact, maybe it's taken away a little yeah, bit. Maybe yeah. I'm behaving in ways that I don't particularly like. I'll remove it and just see what happens. And then in the removal, it's like, oh, actually, I can do those things that I used to be able to do. In fact, I feel a bit more energized and actually I've got a bit more time and my relationships are better. And in that moment, it's that visceral experience of, oh, well, actually, I just think I'll just keep going. Mm. And I think that's just lovely because that is my mission. My mission is to inspire people to start and then do it for long enough that they have that experience. There's an interesting point here that I think is personality linked, but to do with um, game, gamification, maybe the wrong word, but I, um, you know the idea of having a streak? Yeah. How many days have you kept something up for? So this it may well be just my particular personality type likes these things, but I found that... You know, I use Headspace every day to do um, meditation, and I find the fact that they tell me that I've done 549 days in a row is like, oh, I mustn't break my streak. Yeah. It's the same awful technique that leads kids to wanting to post on Snapchat the whole time to not lose their streak. Yeah. You know, there's, there's this sort of 
sometimes unhelpful aspect of human nature. But I, again, I have like a you know, desire to like, well, I've been posting good things every day and writing down good things every day for this many days. I'm trying to stop that now. And the same thing now is like, well, I've actually been like seven months without drinking. So like, even though I might, you know, fancy a glass of wine with these friends, like, oh, it'd be a shame to lose my seven month streak. Yeah. And it raises an interesting thing for me about behavior change, which is once we know our, ourselves and we're self-aware enough, for some people that's no motivation at all, but I know enough about me to know that actually, that way of framing it almost makes it a non-decision. Like, it's not like every time I go out, I'm thinking, oh, should I, shouldn't I? It's like, it's, it's off the table. It's like, well, right now, I'm, I know I'm not having a drink. So it's not even a temptation. In the same way that when I stopped eating sugar, like, I see a cake and people offer me, like, a, a Haribo. And I'm like, no, I don't eat like snacks. I'm, and it's not even, a, it's no, no mental pain cause, but, like, it's the same as going, no, I don't smoke. You know, I, job done. And that's <laughs> such an important um, thing that you've mentioned there. It's very, very poignant because I think exactly that. People get to a point where it's like, I don't drink. And then once that's off the table, the mental clarity and yeah. space that frees up that you haven't got to think about, is this a one drink moment? Is it a two drink moment? Is the bar open moment? Yeah. It's all gone. Yeah. And I think people don't realise how mentally refreshing that is until they're you slightly longer. You've just got brain capacity for other things. Yeah. It's just freed up. Yeah. To do the things that make a difference, to mm. maybe make you a bit more happier. And I think that's just a really nice place to sort of bring it to conclusion. This yes. has been absolutely lovely chat. I've loved it, yeah. Yeah, it's you. so nice. I'm so passionate about what you do because I think it's so important and I think there's so many similarities and I hope many of our members are inspired to check out Action for Happiness. I'm sure many of them already know about it or are already involved, but for those who are not, we'll put links in the show notes to the site and how people can be involved and all those type of things. And just to say thank you for spending some time with me today. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I'm, I'm very inspired by your work and it's so nice to see how, how closely intertwined these yeah. things are. And this is all about, you know, this question of what really matters. Um, and, and what really matters is kind of living in a way that contributes to our collective happiness together. And I think you're doing that and we're doing that. And the more of us that do that, the better. Perfect. A lovely way to finish. Thank you, Mark. Cheers, Annie. for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. One